of excellent. So don't put it on it. Blow it off. It's great. Um, we are going to a text today, and uh, the issues of money are around. If you paid attention to our epistle lesson, our extra long epistle lesson, um, it was uh, about money and riches. Um, and so we'll pay attention to that in a few moments. Um, as you read stories or watch movies, um, it's always fast, or, or real life, it's amazing to see kind of great reversals that happen in life. Um, one of the things that is always fun to do when you watch and we read a book is a character who comes off initially looking pretty good, but in the end they are not so good. Of course, now the classic legendary Frozen movie uh, with the classic Hans Fry, right? The, the Fry guy, the, the Southern Isles, I think Hans, Prince Hans of the Southern Isles. Is no Frozen? Okay, maybe not. Okay, okay. Like I'm all of a sudden talking Spanish or something. I don't know. Um, uh, the other time, there's some characters that appear evil and bad. We aren't so bad. So it's still a discussion for Harry Potter fans. What about Snape? Right? Or even Darth Vader. Was there I mean, some tension there, right? Uh, in life, what you often see, though, is some folks for whom uh, life has gone one way and then things can reverse. Um, you have the rags to riches story and the riches to rags story. And in some regard, our text today is going to remind us of this. And again, think back now about about six, seven weeks to that one story we had about uh, the farmer who had a great bumper crop, and instead he put a lid on it, right? He tried to put it all in together, Adriana, right? But all his grain together and wanted to keep it all for himself, and the next day he died. And so it was a reminder of this great reversal that can happen. So... Um, I invite you today, if you can, to turn your Bibles to Luke uh, 16. Um, I told them we're going to start at verse 19. I'm going to start a little earlier, um, but that's okay. We're going to start at verse 14 and skip some verses. Um, but again, Luke 16, um, 16 14. Um, it's a simple story that uh, Pastor, Pastor Adriana mentioned for us. Um, that is often confused about other things going on, but pay attention to the reversal that happens. So again, if you can stand. With Luke 16, I'll start with verse 14. We'll get to 19 in a little bit. Um, but pay attention to this and think also of that epistle text, too, that we had earlier. So, here we go. Um, the Pharisees, who were money lovers, remember they just, our last text from last week, heard all of this and sneered at Jesus. He said to them, you are the ones who justify yourselves before other people, but God knows your hearts. What is highly valued by people is deeply offensive to God. We're down to verse 19. So there was a certain rich man who clothed himself in purple and fine linen and who was feasted luxuriously every day. At his gate, there was a certain poor man named Lazarus who was covered with sores. Lazarus longed to eat the crumbs that fell from the rich man's table. Instead, this is the gross part, dogs would come and lick his sores. Well, the poor man died and was carried by angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. While being tormented in the place of the dead, he looked up and saw Abraham at a distance with Lazarus at his side. He shouted, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I'm suffering in this flame. But Abraham, Abraham said to him, Child, remember that during your lifetime you received good things. 
whereas Lazarus received terrible things. Now Lazarus is being comforted, and you are in great pain. Moreover, a great crevasse has been fixed between us and you. Those who wish to cross over from here to you cannot. Neither can anyone cross from there to us. The rich man said, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house. I have five brothers. He needs to warn them so that they won't come to his place of agony. Abraham replied, Well, they have Moses and the prophets. They must listen to them. The rich man said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will change their hearts and lives. Abraham said, If they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, then neither will they be persuaded if someone rises from the dead. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. All these fun parables. Uh, I'm not a, a literary expert, but um, I believe we have what's called two foil characters, right? Foils in literature are like two kind of opposite characters that um, kind of play off each other. Um, and so the description kind of lays out some characteristics of these persons. The first thing we know is about um, their clothing. Uh, this first rich man is clothed in purple. Not sure if he's a Washington Huskies fan or not. He was clothed in purple. Now, purple, as you imagine, is a sign of royalty. And essentially, having purple cloth in that day and age was means you were rich. Because to get uh, the dyed fabrics was not inexpensive. Um, and so you were very, very well off. Um, my dad uh, grew up working at Sears. Um, by the way, he predicted in 86 that Sears would fall, and now they eventually have fallen. Um, but I grew up wearing tough skins. Anyone know what a tough skins are? Very good, right? Um, and uh, needless to say, and I'm not sure, I was never big into fashion. Even today, the bulk of my uh, wardrobe largely comes from Costco. You have to go and buy some bananas. Why not buy a shirt? You know, I mean, it works out well. It saves time. I go somewhere else, right? Um, so needless to say, my fashion sense um, is not, it's still not a big deal, obviously, as you can tell. Um, but for this man, uh, his clothing is exuding what he, his wealth. It's not about what he wore, but he has lots of things. So what are their daily lives are like? Um, with the clothing of that man isn't even mentioned. It all says this guy with the purple clothes was feasting luxuriously. Now, you recall from a couple weeks ago, we told the story of the prodigal son. Remember that story? Kid who goes off and comes back, and they throw a big party. The, the wording here in the Greek essentially says they are having a prodigal party every day. But unlike the prodigal party, in some regard, Pastor Adriana, there's a lid on their party. There are folks who are in, and those are the stay in. But if you're not in it, you're kept out. So again, we see here, and of course, it's not wrong to throw a big party. If you exclude others, not so good. But also, they're living in indulgence. I mean, the prodigal son party was awesome. But to do that every day, first of all, would be terribly a huge waste, right? Um, and so again, this text is setting up this overabundance of having too much. Also, this rich man, we know he has a gate. Now, um, if we were talking to class, I'd ask you, what are gates for? Um, gates are for to keep folks out, right? But gates also establish one more time, this man is very wealthy, right? 
Uh, but again, gates are interesting because gates are places you go in and out. Uh, and having a gate, and so this other man, we're going to call him Lazarus, um, he is put there at the gate. The other thing, too, the Greek kind of does is interesting, is they often will, they don't put like subject, verb, prepositions, whatever. They, they'll often put the first word in a sentence as the word that is most important. So the first word they, the, the, this verse about this man, the very first word in the Greek is poor. Uh, that was his identity. Um, we have no description of his clothing. It's not great. He has no location other than he's plopped down here in front of this gate every day. But in some regard, all this man is, is what he does not have at all. Um, and somehow he's tolerated at, to be at this front gate. Um, but there's no connection. There's no allowing him in. And we also then have, not only that, is he at the gate, um, he's hungry. Um, this is now, I'm not sure if this is gross or not. Often they have in the ancient time, they didn't have napkins. They'd often use bread to wipe your mouth. And you'd throw it on the ground. And often the dogs would eat it up. And he was so hungry. So again, this one man, lots of clothes, big gates, prodigal party. This man has nothing. Dropped at the gate and is longing to get the scraps. He's not asking for the steak. He just says, can I get the bread crumbs to eat? I'm, I'm that hungry. I'm that desperate. But he's given nothing. And in fact, it's even worse. Those master's dogs who are eating the crumbs from the table, they come and they eat and feed off that man's sores. It's kind of disgusting. Ugh, PG-13. Awkward. Right? So you can see what Jesus is doing here. We're setting these characters up as very as opposites. The only glimmer of hope, and in fact, as all parables are, the name of someone matters. The one man's name was Lazarus. The other one was what? The rich man. So, in fact, the rich man, that actually is all he was. He was just rich. He had no identity other than that. As we said before, um, in Luke, in our first uh, Timothy epistle lesson, the scriptures are nervous when wealth is your identity. Wealth is not a bad thing, but when wealth is all that you are, that is all that you are. And there's going to be a fleeting sense of what value that will give to you long term. The other guy, Lazarus, there is no hope for help except for that his name means you know what his name means? I'll tell you. I didn't know either. I had to look it up. His name means God helps. So in some regard in this story, that's the only glimmer of hope we have. This guy's got something to happen. Well, as is the case, like three or four weeks ago, um, the rich man, he dies and Lazarus dies. What we know is whether you're rich or you're poor, good news, you're all going to die. Congratulations. And again, similarly, um, the text says that Lazarus was carried off to Abraham's side. You know what that means? He had no burial. He might have died right there at the gates. And, and again, for the Jews, as it would be for us, it was a huge sign of disgrace to have one's dead body exposed. Back to the story of um, Ahab and Jezebel, that whole story back there. Obviously, Jesus kind of death on the cross. They put him down before sundown. So to have one's body exposed after death, like for us, the same thing, 
would be a huge sign of disgrace. But Lazarus had nobody. So literally, he just, the scripture says his, he goes to Abraham's side, and as a rich man, he was buried. Well, you would think now that Jesus, the next part of the story, everything's fine at this point. But Jesus then says, and that rich man, he was in Hades, and Lazarus was at Abraham's side. Now, for many of you, this might be familiar. I mean, in the first century, you say, time out, Jesus. Uh, you're showing your age here. Uh, you got it backwards. You meant to say the rich man was at Abraham's side and Lazarus was in Hades. Because we know that if you are wealthy, God is blessing you. And we know if you are poor and hurting, God is against you. But not in the kingdom. There is a reversal. And here's what's curious. The rich man, probably shocked, finds himself in Hades and in torment, and he says to Abraham, Father Abraham, this is not fun, but I see Lazarus there. Have him dip the tip of his finger into the water to help me get out of agony. What's curious about that? What's curious, some of you are getting it. Guess what? He knew who Lazarus was. And yet he didn't even bother to send the scraps out of his table, but now he wants to treat Lazarus like another servant. See, in some regard, this man has not learned much in his time in Hades. His disposition was, Lazarus is less than, he is there to serve me. Abraham said, um, there's a big gap here, and um, we can't cross it. So the rich man says, well, hey, I've got some brothers. Go back and tell them that uh, how they're living, this is not going to end up well. Now, um, does this remind you of any other story you've heard before? You know, a guy named Charles Dickens, what we call the Christmas Carol, a Christmas story. And remember the, the figure of Jacob Marley. It was Ebenezer Scrooge, right? And Ebenezer Scrooge is a good, rich man, right? His lid is closed off, right? Um, Ebenezer Scrooge has no help for his uh, cr uh, Bob Cratcher, right? That's his name, his little assistant there. Um, right, the lid is on. Pastor Adriana, Scrooge has no room. So Marley comes back, has this great quote and says, these are the chains that I created, link by link, yard by yard, of how I live my life, closed off from others, greedy, selfish. And he says, Ebenezer, your chains are way worse. So he, so again, um, we have this warning. Of course, the great story of the Christmas Carol is that, of course, the you go back to Christmas past and present, and future, and in light of all that, Scrooge makes this great kind of reversal, this great repentance, so he wakes up, I think I'm on Christmas morning maybe, we're not sure, and he's suddenly generous and new, because he wants to see that actually life is found by caring and loving for others. See, here was the interesting thing for that rich man. Um, ironically, by the way he was living his life, he was living in a kind of hell and Hades already in this life. See, here's the thing. 
when, as Pastor Adriana said, when your life has a lid on it, you have no room to receive the grace of God and the grace of others. In many regards, this is going to sound a little awkward, the riches salvation is connected to their place of encountering and coming alongside the poor. You see, riches by themselves will corrupt. This is why, the, again, so it isn't that being rich is a problem. The danger is when there is no sense, as Pastor Adriana mentioned, of the water coming in and out. So, the last line is interesting, isn't it? Abraham says, you have a law of the prophets. The rich man said, that's not enough. But if someone comes from the dead, certainly then they'll believe. And, his, and Abraham's favorite line is, even if someone rises from the dead, they'll not believe him. What do you think that refers to? You know what's coming, don't you? Uh, it's a sense in which um, even the resurrection that we proclaim by faith, not all folks have believed. Um, and again, a, a clear analogy to the, the, and again, think about this, the Gospel of Luke written, we're not exactly sure, probably, oh, 71, 2, 3, so 30, 40 years after Christ rose from the dead. Um, but clearly not all had believed, even though hearing reports of seeing that Jesus is risen from the dead. So what's the point of this pair? What's the so what here? So a couple cautions. As a theologian professor, I'm always nervous of any text that we do wrong things with it. So here's some of the wrong things. This text is not saying, if you are rich, you're headed to hell. Or if you're poor, you're going to heaven. It's not that straightforward. And again, I will say, in the first century, the reverse was often thought. It was often thought if your life was good and rich and you had lots of food, that meant God was blessing you and you were righteous. And the opposite was also true. If you were poor, if you were diseased with sores, had very little, it was thought to be that God was cursing you. And so Christ is reversing that whole thing. But we can't reverse it so far as to assume, oh, I'm poor, that means I'm going to heaven. That's also not what we're saying. The question is this, and the illustration um, was excellent. To what degree do we see that all of our life is God blessing us, but those blessings aren't for us to put a lid on them? Those blessings are for as God gives, we can share. And as others give to us, we're filled and then emptied, filled and then emptied as this great cycle of living in a community because our God is not our stuff. I think one of the challenges we have, even in the, in the United States, all the way out here in the mountain home, is again, and boy, Jesus keeps beating on this. Be careful if your identity is in the things you have or don't have. Again, I know many folks who didn't have much, but their goal was to have all the stuff. So even not having but desiring, that was their primary goal. And what the gospel has been saying, our epistle text included, is find riches in loving, being loving yourself and loving others. That's where peace and joy and hope will come from. You see, the rich man 
was living in this life in a kind of poverty. He was unable to see the blessing that Lazarus was to be on his life. Now, I know some of you have this spiritual gift of generosity. I don't have it, right? Um, but I have to work at it, right? Some of you, it's very easy and naturally. You give it and you, you receive it, you give it. For others of us, it is a discipline, right? I can I imagine for some of you um, who are giving tithes and offerings regularly, perhaps there was a discipline you had to learn. Some of you may learn it as kids. Some of you learn it as adults. Some of you, if you're honest, it's still a discipline that you're needing to get into. It's a whole different series, but it is to say, one of the greatest blessings in life is to regularly give back God's tithes and our offerings as a way to say, God, I trust you. If that's not part of your current life, we can talk. Um, but let me encourage you. I would say this. God will be faithful. Now, it's a side sermon here. I'm not a fan of prosperity gospel. Give God 10 bucks, get 1,000 back. We're not doing that, right? But I will tell you, and the illustration you gave was perfect, the more you're able to share the blessings God has given you, the more your life will be blessed. It's not always economically, but it is about a life that says, my life is recognizing that all that I have is God's, so therefore, God, let me share it as, as I can. This great John Wesley quote maybe you heard before. John Wesley said, earn all you can, love it. He said, um, save all you can, love it. Third, give away all you can. Love it. Right? Many of you I know live that out. And I would say in some regard, in that lifestyle, that's what being rich looks like. Rich in God. Is that you are set free from having all your identity in those possessions, which can, what does Jesus say, can get rusty, can get stolen, can go away. Um, that's the invitation. You recall, um, now it's now the second highest grossest movie of all time, Titanic, came out a while ago. Um, many of you probably heard the story. Uh, spoiler alert, there's a ship that sinks, so I'm just warning you. If it's the news to you, um, yeah, too bad. Um, uh, in that movie, at the end, some powerful scenes, and I think this is actually based on some true, some true facts. Uh, in the end, they had uh, X number of boats, not nearly enough for all the people, um, but early on, of course, all the rich people got in the rescue boats, or the, the, not the rescue boats, the, the, the boats, lifeboats, thank you, um, lifeboats, and they went away, but often many of those lifeboats were only a quarter to a half full because they were, and no one else is around, and so even though there's hundreds of folks wanting to get on, they let them go. Well, all these boats had gone away, some of them half, quarter full. The Titanic sinks, and they hear all the screams of those in the water. And this great line is, should we go back? Well, the captain, if we go back, they'll take us down. And so the boats don't come back. One boat came back, but it was in some regard way too late. And often many of the folks when they came back they only rescued two or three from the water because they were so afraid of their own lives being taken. They didn't want to risk, hey, those folks out there, they might, they might, it might cost us some time and money. It might get cold here. We're safe. We're comfortable, right? Our lid is on. Only so much room in the boat. We have plenty of room, but you know. I might want to stretch out here. 
In so many ways, those screams went silent. With that analogy, I wonder how you would describe your life today. Um, I wonder if someone here today would say, metaphorically, I feel like things are really hard. I'm like Lazarus. I feel like nothing is going well. I'm begging for scraps and things are coming empty. It's not only economic. It could be relationally, spiritually. You feel a lot of dryness. Perhaps some of you are really like those, if you were honest, like kind of the rich man and folks in the boat. Things aren't perfect, but things are okay. But there are needs out there. And what does it mean for us like to pull that lid off and say, God, I, I trust that you'll keep providing for us. And I want to define my life by allowing you to bless me that I can be a blessing to others and not live in the despair of my own riches in this life. To be happy, to find joy, to find hope, is to let our lives be intersected with Lazarus's in our world. Do we have eyes to see and ears to hear? It can be scary to pull that lid off. What if stuff gets filled out? But do we trust the God who filled it the first time can fill it again. And God's intention was never for you to hold it for yourself, but to be a blessing. Invite Pastor Val to come on up and we pray before the Lord. Um, we're going to have communion this morning. And perhaps um, one of the great things that we have in the Eucharist is to say this, God, this word sounds too hard for me. I can't do it. If I'm honest, I want to stay in the boat and not go back. I want to have my own party to let those other people in. But God, I want to do better. Eucharist can also be today for those of you who feel like you're drowning in the water or like Lazarus. To say, God, I need some help. I need your grace. I need, I need someone to rescue me. I don't know uh, where you are on that spectrum. Whether you feel a kind of desperation of your life and soul. You need God to throw you a lifeline. Or from the other end, you say, God, help me be more open. Help me to see the Lazaruses in my life. Help me to find to be a way of being compassionate in the world. Um, let's sing a song of the Eucharist.